You are listening to the Through the Bible Studio Series with Pastor Nate Holdridge. Join us as we continue our study through the New Testament book of Luke. Here's Nate. Well, Jesus Christ is in the business of altering the course of the lives of individuals. I mean, Jesus has been doing this from the very beginning. And here in Luke chapter 5, we see Jesus really beginning to uh, uniquely deal with individual lives, calling Peter to be his disciple along with James and John, ministering to a leper and cleansing him of his leprosy, forgiving a paralytic of his sin before he heals him of his paralysis and calling Matthew to be uh, his disciple. And so just the ministry of Jesus in taking a human being and changing the trajectory uh, of their lives. And just to pause for a moment and say thank you to the Lord. Thank you, Lord, for where you have brought us. Thank you, Lord, for what you've done in my life. And just to rejoice personally in your own life over what Jesus Christ has done for you and and to, to be conscious of the reality of where you might be or where you would be were it not for Jesus. And so it says in verse one of chapter five, on one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And so here we have the background of this particular story. It evidences the extreme popularity of Jesus at the moment. Of course, he's very public at this time. He's going around from town to town, teaching and preaching and also working miracles And we've seen that word of Christ is spreading throughout that entire region. And so when he comes to the lake of Gennesaret, Luke records, which is just another name for the Sea of Galilee or the Sea of Tiberias. uh, When he comes to the lake of Gennesaret, uh, the people gather together and are pressing against him in order to receive uh, his teaching. And so there were some fishermen there who were, after a long night and early morning of work, we assume, washing their nets. And Jesus saw one of their boats and sat down in it, in Simon's boat, who is also Peter, and asked to be pushed out a little from the land and sat down and taught the people from the boat. And again, just a beautiful scene, just imagining Jesus sitting there in the boat, communicating Uh, the word of God, teaching uh, the word of God. And so just beautiful here. And of course, you're seeing here and noticing that Jesus is going to call these very fishermen who are there washing their nets uh, in just a moment. But first, Jesus there teaching. Now, when he had finished teaching, verse four, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Now, obviously at this point, Simon, who is Peter, is conscious of the power of Christ. Jesus has gone into his home and healed his mother-in-law of a high fever. He's been very conscious of and has witnessed miracles of healing and the silencing of demons. And so Peter knows who Jesus is. He knows of his power. But on top of this, and perhaps in 
you know, juxtaposition to this is the reality that Jesus is a carpenter from Nazareth and Peter is a fisherman from the Sea of Galilee. So to have Jesus tell Peter to put out his boat into the deep and let down his nets for a catch, you know, this isn't Jesus's area of expertise. But Simon, verse five, answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word, I will let down the nets. It's just beautiful to see Peter uh, ready to experience the Lord working so powerfully in his life. One of the ingredients of watching the Lord grab a hold of your life and use you by his grace and by his mercy is to do just as Peter did. He put the word of Jesus above his own word. He says to him, look, we toiled all night and we took nothing. In other words, this really isn't something that makes a lot of sense to me. We've gone out at the appropriate time for fishing, which would have been the night and the early morning. It's daylight hours now. Nobody's out there on the water. Nobody's fishing. We shouldn't expect to catch anything because we went at the proper time and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And this is a beautiful attitude to have. It's the attitude of Mary at the event of Jesus's first miracle when she told the wedding attendants in the town of Cana, do whatever he tells you. And just a beautiful thing to say, Lord, whatever you have for me, whatever you speak to me, even if it violates my senses at times, I will be obedient to the revealed word of God. Jesus said in John 15, verse 14, you are my friends if you do what I command you. And in thinking of a statement like that, it appears obvious that no other man could have ever said a statement like that. You're my friends if you do what I command you. That's not a friendly word. That is the word of, you know, a, a bully in one sense. But Jesus in saying it has an entirely different tone, an entirely different context, an entirely different reality. He is God in human flesh. And so for us to follow what he says in our lives, man, that is the best thing for us. It is what friends would do unto the Lord. And so Peter here puts Jesus's word above his own. And when they had done this, verse six, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled the boat so that they began to sink. And so the power of Christ, you can imagine the jolt of adrenaline that these dreary and weary fishermen would have experienced out there on the Sea of Galilee as their boats and nets began to fill up with fish. They weren't expecting it, but here is a miracle. Now, it's not that Jesus was standing there in the boat, lifting his hands and pushing, you know, invisibly with some force, these fish through the water. It's just that he had told them to go and cast their nets once again. It appeared so natural, but all the while, very supernatural. And uh, I know in my life, there are so many things that some would call coincidence that I would say, no, this is obviously the hand of the Lord. And hopefully for these Jewish men in that boat, they would have recalled the 
power of God over the elements in the Old Testament, uh, particularly in the plagues against Egypt over frogs and flies and locusts and gnats, but also hopefully the provision of God through the miraculous movement of the quail in Exodus chapter 16. And hopefully now as they're seeing the Lord again express his power over the natural realm, they would realize that they're in the presence of the Almighty God. But when Simon, verse 8, saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees. And so he does realize something, at least there's some kind of divine revelation that Peter is experiencing at this point. It doesn't seem that he fully understands that Jesus is the Son of God and God the Son at this particular point. But there is something powerful about Jesus that Peter realizes. And so he falls down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. And it's just so fascinating to me to see that this was the thing that brought Peter to the knees of Christ. Uh, Jesus would heal his mother-in-law and work many miracles in his hometown in Capernaum. But when Jesus filled up Peter's boat with fish, that was when Jesus crossed the line. It was personal for Peter at this point. This was the thing that helped him say, Lord, I know who you are. And when he realized a little bit more of who Jesus is, he said to Jesus, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. He had referred to Jesus as master previously, but Lord in this moment. And what he's realized here at this moment is, is the worth of Christ. And in understanding the holiness of Jesus, the power of Jesus, much like Isaiah, who after Uzziah's death saw the Lord on the throne and said in Isaiah 6, 5, Woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Or much like Daniel, who in Daniel 10, verse 9, after he saw the man, the Lord, by the Tigris River said, when I heard the sound of his words, and as I heard the sound of his words, I fell on my face in deep sleep with my face to the ground, like John on Patmos, seeing the same man that Daniel saw. When he saw him, he says, I fell on my at his feet as though dead, but he laid his right hand on me saying, fear not, I am the first and the last. This is an, an experience here at this moment. Peter realizes who he's dealing with at least in some degree and he falls on his face before the Lord and he realizes his own brokenness and his own spiritual poverty in the presence of the Lord when he says depart from me for I am a sinful man for he verse 9 and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken and so also were James and John sons of Zebedee who were partners with Simon. And so here you have the calling of the inner circle of Christ, Peter and James and John, three men who Jesus poured into in a unique kind of way during his earthly ministry, important men for the early church called at this particular moment. And Jesus said to Simon, verse 10, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Literally what Jesus is saying to Peter at this point is, from now on, uh, you will catch men alive. You will be hunting men to life. 
which is interesting because there they were in this these boats full of fish who obviously were dead or were in the process of dying as they flopped around on the deck of the boat. And obviously, they had caught them in order to kill them, to eat them, to sell them. This was no catch-and-release program. But the Lord is saying, Peter, you and your men, you will be catching men, not to death, but you'll be catching them to life. And of course, we think of some of the fishing expeditions that Peter went on for men. Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 was his first major fishing expedition. And at his word, there were 3,000 souls who were baptized and added to the church. And his second major fishing expedition happened in Acts chapter 10, verse 43, when he preached the gospel at Cornelius' house, and he said to him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Peter realized that the gospel was for not just the Jew, but also for the Gentile. And so Peter had many other fishing expeditions as well in between those and after those. But two amazing times where Peter was used to catch men alive for the Lord. And Peter basically was putting Jesus's will above his own. I think it's interesting that at the pinnacle of Peter's fishing industry and profession, at the pinnacle of success, with his boats full of fish, Jesus looks at him and says, follow me. Don't be afraid. I have something better, deeper, more wonderful for you. And sometimes we set our sights on things that are far too small, but the Lord has a better plan for our lives. Now, after calling these men, it says in verse 12 that while he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Now, a couple of things to make sure that we notice about this man before we see the way in which Jesus responded. First of all, notice in verse 12 that this man was full of leprosy. This was no minor version of leprosy or early stage of leprosy or, as was sometimes the case in the Old Testament, uh, something less than leprosy but had the biblical title leprosy, some advanced form of eczema or something like that. No, this was uh, severe and difficult and late stage leprosy, according to Dr. Luke. The man was full of leprosy. And notice, secondly, not just that he was full of this sickness and disease, but he says to the Lord, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Now, Jesus at this point has already healed many people. Uh, at that beautiful night in Capernaum in chapter 4, every single person who came to him with an illness, he touched them and healed them. And so we know of his miraculous healing power at this point. But this man does not ask specifically to be healed. Healing would be part of the process, but he asks to be made clean. Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And in the Old Testament, the way that it was for the people of Israel is that if a person had leprosy, they had to 
present themselves in a very disheveled manner and cover their mouths and cry out, unclean, unclean. This would keep them out of the camp and out of the sacrificial system and the worship of God. This man's desire, in one sense, was societal and spiritual. He wanted to be reconnected with his society and reconnected with the Lord. He wanted more than just healing. He wanted to be pronounced clean by the Lord. And, you know, I think in our modern era, obviously leprosy still exists in some parts of the world. But for many of us, leprosy is not the concern. But perhaps uncleanness, or to borrow a different word, a sense of being dirty does at times plague us, sometimes through things that we have done and sometimes through things that have been done to us. And so this man is a great representative of all who have ever declared, I desire to be clean. I want my dirtiness, my filthiness. I want it to be dealt with. The answer is in Jesus Christ. And so Jesus, verse 13 stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Now the beauty of this movement from Jesus is that he didn't just simply speak a healing into this man's life, although he could have. No, instead he reaches out his hand and touched the man. That personal contact was something that Jesus wanted to give to this man. And the interesting thing, of course, is that in that culture, and even biblically, if you were to come in contact with a leper, you would become unclean ceremonially. But here Jesus extends his hand, and rather than Jesus becoming unclean, the man becomes clean. Jesus says, I will, I want to be clean. In Haggai chapter 2, there's an interesting question that the Lord asks of the priests. First of all, he asks them question number one about holy meat. And he said, if you're carrying holy meat in the fold of your garment and you touch with the fold bread or stew or wine or oil or any kind of food, does that food then become holy? And the priests answered, no. In other words, you can't be carrying holy food and then touch regular food and expect that regular food to become suddenly holy food? And the second question then was, if someone who is unclean by contact with a dead body touches any of these, does it become unclean? So let's say I'm unclean because I've touched a dead body and I touch some of those same foods, will they become unclean? And they answered and said, it does. It does become unclean. In other words, I quote that from Haggai chapter 2 to basically point out that in that era, if something clean touched something unclean or normal, I should say, neutral, the neutral thing did not adopt the cleanness or the holiness, but the uncleanness was the thing that could be transferred from thing to thing or from person to person. But with Jesus, the reverse has now occurred. He extends his hand. And what they would have expected is that the uncleanness of the leprosy would have made Jesus unclean. 
But coming into contact with Christ brings cleanness upon anyone who comes into his presence. Jesus said in John 15 verse 3, Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken you. And we know, of course, from heaven in Revelation 21 verse 27 that nothing unclean will ever enter it. So we were made clean by the blood of Christ. We are washed by the blood of Christ. We can do many things to dirty ourselves, but only the Lord can put that cleanness inside of our lives and to wash us completely. And he did that for this leper. And then he charged him in verse 14 to tell no one, but to go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded for a proof to them. But now even more, the report about him went abroad and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. And so Jesus tells the man to do something very interesting. First of all, don't publicize what's just happened to you. But secondly, do publicize it to one person in particular. Go to the priest there in Jerusalem and offer the offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded for a proof to them. Now, this command from Moses came from Leviticus chapter 14. It was a very involved and intricate process, whereby at the end of it, the priest would declare the leper to be clean. And it seems as if Jesus is trying to announce there's a simpler, more beautiful way. The fulfillment of what was seen there in the Old Testament era is now here in Christ. They would go through this long, elaborate seven-day process to declare an ex-leper clean. And all Jesus had to do was extend his hand and say, I'm willing be clean. He is indeed the ultimate priest. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 21 says, Since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart, in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. We're ministered to and changed by Christ even down to the depths of our conscience. Now, this led to great popularity and even more fame and following at the time. But he, verse 16, would withdraw to desolate places and pray. And so with all of this popularity, Jesus had to get alone in the wilderness for prayer. Charles Spurgeon said, Neglect of private prayer is the locust which devours the strength of the church. Now on one of those days, verse 17, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea from Jerusalem. So after especially healing the leper and the report to the priests, Pharisees and scribes from everywhere come out to hear his teaching and not to receive his teaching, but to inspect his teaching. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, verse 18, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. Talk about persistence. These men want to bring this paralyzed man to Jesus for a healing, but the house was so crowded as Jesus was teaching that they went to the roof and tore it apart, opened the tiles, and let this man down so that Jesus might be able to interact with him. And I love the persistence of these men. 
they were joining together persistently to save a man's life. And I think it's a beautiful picture of the joining together with others to reach our children and our friends for Christ. And so they joined together. And it says in verse 21 that when he saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. Jesus saw not the faith of the man, but the faith of the men who carried the man. Their faith was very visible at this moment. It was very external, very obvious. So obvious that there was this hole in the roof proving that they had faith. James tells us in James chapter 2 that faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. They had a, an alive faith at this point. Now, Jesus probably surprised everyone when he announced to the man, your sins are forgiven you. You can almost imagine the men standing there holding the ropes, saying to themselves or, and wanting to say out loud, that's not his problem. He's paralyzed. It's not sin that we came for. It's his body that we want to see healed. And with one statement, Jesus is announcing some beautiful things. He's telling them what the Messiah, the Christ, is all about, especially in his first coming. Solving the problem, not of sickness and pain, but of sin. Secondly, he's destroying their corrupt theology of sin leading to sickness, which was based on their conceited pride within. And he's also demonstrating the true problem inside of mankind. Our truest problem is not our sickness and is not death. Our truest problem is not poverty. Our truest problem is sin. And Jesus looks right at this man and gets to the very root of what this man is all about and says, man, your sins are forgiven you. And I imagine at that moment, even though his body could not walk yet, could not leap yet, could not externally rejoice, I imagine this man was celebrating within his heart because there is nothing like the forgiveness of sin. And the scribes, verse 21, and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you? Or to say, rise and walk. Now those very same teachers who were there listening and inspecting Jesus' teaching, they began to reason amongst themselves. This is a blasphemous thing. Only God can forgive sin. Now they were right that ultimately all forgiveness comes from God and only God can truly pardon a man of his debt of sin. But they did not realize that they were standing in the presence of the Son of God. And so Jesus then says to them, why are you questioning these things? What's easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise and walk? In other words, if you say to someone, you're forgiven, well, nobody present really knows whether it was effective or not. But if you say, rise and walk, well, that effective word will be obvious to all. But, verse 24, that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he'd been lying on and went home, 
glorifying God. And amazement seized them all, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, We have seen extraordinary things today. So the calling of this paralyzed man and the forgiveness of sin that Jesus Christ offered. He was rejoicing because his sin was forgiven and his paralysis secondarily was healed. And just the ability of Jesus, he's able to look into our lives and say, follow me and I will make you a catcher of men. He's able to look into our lives and say, be clean. And he's able to look into our lives and say, you are forgiven. God bless you and amen. Thank you for listening. For additional resources and teachings or to contact us, please visit us at nateoldridge.com.